Welcome to Bakersfield First Assembly of God's podcast. Pastor James is fired up and ready to preach. I hope you enjoy this sermon. We're going to continue our series on the hands of Jesus. There's something meaningful and powerful about his hands. Our previous sermons, the hands that heal, when Jesus touched people with his hands, they were healed. The hands that opened blind eyes, Jesus even did this incredible miracle of opening the eyes that are blind. The hands that bless, I mean, oh, the hands of Jesus bring blessing to us. And the hands that were pierced, he was pierced for our transgressions. And so we know the nail-pierced hands has an impact in our lives. And then the hands that are scarred, Jesus retains those scars in his hands as a, a memorial for us to remember that our sins are forgiven. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Isn't that incredible? What a gift of God that he would send his only son to die for us so we didn't have to perish in hell forever. What a gift God has given us. And so we conclude this series with the hands that hold everything. We see before this passage, there was John the Baptist talking about how he was not the Messiah, that he and Jesus are different and had different purposes. And then after this passage, we see the woman at the well. And so let's jump into our text. These are the words of John the Baptist testifying about Jesus in John chapter 3, beginning at verse 31. The one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, but no one accepts his testimony. The man who has accepted it has certified that God is truthful. For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God gives him the spirit without limit. And the father loves the son and has placed everything in his hands. And whoever believes in the son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. John the Baptist always claimed to be less than Jesus. He was the forerunner. He was not the Messiah, and he was careful to let people know that he was just a man, but that Jesus was the Messiah, the incarnation of God in mankind. He was not the Messiah, and he, he clearly made that evident to those that he spoke to. One major difference between Jesus and John the Baptist is that Jesus came from heaven, but John belongs to the earth just like you and I do. John was saying that because Jesus has come from heaven, he is above all. Because Jesus came from the Father in heaven, Jesus is greater than all. And we see this in the Life Application New Testament commentary. John's statement revealed his attitude about Christ's superiority and preeminence over him. Christ's heavenly origin gives him superiority over every person. Jesus is greater than anyone who ever lived for he is the Messiah, he is the creator of all things. And like John, we're like John, we speak from the earth. This is all we know is what we have here in this world. But we really don't know what we're talking about much of the time, let's just be honest. We only have a limited vantage point of from the earth. How many of God sees all and knows all? We can speculate and we can guess and we can postulate, but usually we're actually clueless. It's like we're looking through the wrong end of the binoculars. You ever done that just to mess around? I mean, 
look through the wrong end of the binoculars and things are less clear and further away. Wow, you guys are way out there. And so this is us. We're looking through the wrong end of the binoculars. We're looking at our problems. And you know, this, what's weird is there's not like a figure eight like is on the TV when you look through binoculars. It's just one circle. But this is us. We're looking and everything is far away and is not clear and can even be confusing. But God sees all. Everything up close and personal. Wow. Boy, I can see some things there. I better put these down. <laughs> Jesus always knew what he was talking about. He sees everything. And those of us on earth are limited in our understanding. However, the knowledge of Jesus knows no limits. He knows all there is to know. And he came from heaven and he came from the Father. And because he did that, he can precisely describe them both. Jesus knows the Father. Jesus knows heaven. He said these words in John 16, 28. I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I'm, going, I'm leaving the world and going back to the Father. So Jesus was explaining that he came from the Father to this earth, and he's going back to the Father after his resurrection. And Jesus said this in John 6:46: No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. Jesus is the only one who has seen the Father. And so he can reveal the Father to us because he and the Father are one. And so Jesus knows so much more than we understand there are things going on in your life right now you do not understand. And that causes fear. It causes anxiety. It causes worry because you're not sure what's going to happen. That's the problem with our, our view. It's limited. We can only live in the present. Sometimes we try to live in the past, can't change it. And we live in fear of the future. And so we need to understand, even if we don't have all the information, even if we did have all the information, how many of you know we might mess it up even still? But we don't have all the information. And this is why it's important for us to be careful in how we respond because our view is limited. We're looking through the wrong end of the binoculars. But God has already seen the future. He is not bound by time. And so God already knows what you're going through and what's going to happen. We don't. All we can do is worry about it and be fearful. And that doesn't help a bit. The most important thing we can do is to trust that God knows. God knows what you're going through. He knows what your experience you're in, the trial and the tribulation. He understands everything. And so it's upon us to trust him, not doubt him. Jesus has been to heaven. He's been there. He's from there. Jesus has seen the Father. And we're of the earth, so we can't accurately describe heaven. When we attempt to, it's like we're trying to describe somewhere we've heard about but never been. You know what I'm talking about? There may be places you want to go in the world and you've seen pictures, but you've never been there. And unless you've been there, you can't accurately describe things. I mean, you know, that sometimes when you hear about a certain place, it can be distorted because it's from someone else's limited view. You know, before I went to North Dakota, I heard all about it. Oh, my goodness. And I lived in Dickinson, but I worked in a town called Kildeer. And my co-workers used to say, yeah, kill deer is so cold it killed all the deer. That's why that's the name of the town. And I'm thinking, great, this is all I need to hear. That's not the truth, by the way. It's named after the bird. There is a bird called kill deer. And so that's why it's named after that. 
But it was cold. I'm telling you what, I pulled in my truck into the shop one day, minus 27 degrees below zero. The weather is bitter cold, but you know what? The people are not. I found the people, the locals, those that are from North Dakota to be some of the finest people I've ever met in my life. And that wasn't explained to me. All it was was about the cold and the craziness and the wild west, especially when oil was at $100 a barrel. But I found that it wasn't, just, it wasn't like everyone described. Yes, it was cold, but the people had a warmth about them, a genuineness, a hardworking. Here people came from all over the world and invaded this little state, took people's jobs and then criticized the people there. I learned that that was a, a mistake and people didn't understand what was really true. And so when I went, to, now that I've been to North Dakota, I can talk about it. I've been there. And so I can, I can share that with you. And in the same way Jesus has been to heaven, he can talk about it. Because he's been there. Not only has he been there, he built it. And so we know this, Jesus is from heaven. My first point this morning, I know it took a while to get to point number one, but here it is. He holds heaven in his hands. Jesus has been to heaven because he made it for you and me. He prepared a place for you and me. Do you realize that? that of course, he's a carpenter. He builds things. And so Jesus has built, there are many mansions, the Bible says, in, in store for his people who serve him here on earth. Jesus is making a place for you if you will only make a place for him in your heart. Jesus will make a place in heaven for you if you'll make a place for Jesus in your heart. Look at Hebrews 1.10. He also says, In the beginning, O Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. Jesus is a builder. He's a contractor. And he testified to mankind to what he had seen and heard in heaven. We can't trust the word of man, but we can trust the word of God. Whatever Jesus said, we can trust that it's from the Lord. In fact, God is true and every man is a liar in comparison. Look at Romans chapter 3, verse 3. That's not just me saying it. The Bible says that. Verse 3, what if some did not have faith? Will their lack of faith nullify God's faithfulness? Not at all. Let God be true and every man a liar. As it is written, so that you may be proved right when you speak and prevail when you judge. Let us be determined to listen to the truth of God's word and not the lies of men. To their great loss, not everyone will believe the testimony of Jesus Christ. Jesus told the truth. He came full of grace and truth. And everything he says is true. But there will be those that reject it. And in fact, that's what happened to Jesus he came to his own people and they rejected him. Look at John 3, 11. I tell you the truth, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. Jesus has been there. He's seen the Father. He's built heaven. He knows what he's talking about. But sometimes it's easier to, it's lazy to believe a lie. It, it takes some strength and some courage to believe the truth. In fact, more doubted than believed. Even though Jesus did mighty miracles, so many miracles, even rose from the dead himself. And yet even his own disciples, as we studied last week, had a hard time believing it was true. 
Thomas, good old doubting Thomas, unless I see the holes in his hands and the holes in his side and feet, I won't believe. And Jesus shows up and says, here they are, buddy. But we know that with all the evidence, with all the proof, and there is so much evidence for God's word. There's so much proof that Jesus lived and died and rose from the dead. Even Josephus, the historian of that day, wrote about Jesus. And he wasn't a Christian. And so the Believer's Bible Commentary says this. John was looking at mankind in general and simply stating that the Savior's teachings were rejected by the majority. Jesus was the one who came down from heaven, but comparatively few were willing to listen to him. And it's true today. The majority don't believe. Even though it's true, the majority don't believe. But those who accept God's word will find it to be absolutely true. I challenge you. I, I challenge you. Believe God's word and see what happens. Apply your life according to the scriptures. That's what the Bible is for. It's how to live through this life. It's basic instructions before leaving earth. B-I-B-L-E, in case you didn't catch that acronym. We can, if we would just live our lives after God's word, our lives would be radically different in a good way. The truth is there. And my second point is, Jesus holds the truth in his hands. We live in a day where it's almost impossible to know the truth, right? You know, all the craziness with COVID and, and war and everything that's going on. I don't know about you. I don't know who to believe because it changes from day to day. Aren't you glad that God's word never changes? That Jesus never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And though these scriptures have been written thousands of years ago, they are life and, and, and a light unto our path today. His word is a light to our path. I challenge you. You've got to be in the word every day. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you've got to be in the word every day. It's your spiritual nourishment in these last days. We have to have the word in our heart because the times are, are, are changing. The times are getting more serious. I mean, if, I, if you think about it, what is going on in Russia, we're, we're on the edge of World War III any day. And so as a believer in Jesus Christ, you've got to know the truth and you've got to know the word and you've got to know the times that we're in. And if you're not a Christian, I challenge you to read the Bible anyway. You can start in the, in the New Testament. Or I don't care where you start. Ecclesiastes sometimes is good for people to start. But if you're kind of searching and you're wondering if all this is true, I, I tell you, start reading God's word and it will change you. When you read the truth, you will know the truth and it will set you free. Amen. The truth in this world gets twisted and distorted and perverted. Isn't it crazy what is going on in our world? The book of Romans said that in last days they'll call good evil and call evil good. And so everything's so confusing. Everything is twisted. Everything is upside down. But God's word is always true. And Jesus spoke the word of God. It's one, the one book we can always lean on. In fact, Jesus spoke only what his father told him to say. Listen to these words of Christ, John chapter 14, verse 10. Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? 
The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Verse 24, he who does not love me will not obey my teachings. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. Jesus just spoke what the Father said. He just repeated what his Father said. You know, we, we see that when we have kids, that kids are imitators, right? They imitate what they see in us, and sometimes that's embarrassing. It doesn't turn out so good. But Jesus perfectly reflected his Father and only said what the Father wanted him to say. Jesus spoke the words of God. But not only that, Jesus received the Holy Spirit without limit. Look at what Thomas L. Constable says. All of God's former messengers received a limited measure of God's Spirit. The Spirit came on the Old Testament prophets only for a limited times and purposes. However, God gave His Spirit to Jesus without limit. This guaranteed the truth of Jesus' words. There is no limit to what the Spirit can do in us and through us as well. We need to plead with the Lord for more of His Holy Spirit. We need a move of the Holy Spirit in our day and in our time. And if we plead for more of the Spirit, God is faithful to give it to us because number three, Jesus holds the gift of the Spirit in His hands. The gift of the Holy Spirit, it's a gift that God has for us. And prophesying about Jesus, John the Baptist said this in Luke 3.16, I know I'm hitting you with a whole lot of scripture, but it's, it's better words than my words. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one more powerful than I will come. The thongs of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. The shoelaces of the shoes I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. That tennis shoe comment wasn't actually in there, but I'm just trying to put it in modern day vernacular. So John says, I'm not even worthy to untie his shoes, but he's going to baptize you in the spirit and fire. I challenge you, have you been baptized in the spirit and fire? Because that's what you're going to need in these days. We are going to need the Holy Spirit and fire. And that fire is not literal. It's, it's representative of the power of the Holy Spirit to cleanse, to purify, to set aside, to sanctify. And then it actually happened. Jesus said it was going to, John the Baptist said it was going to happen, and then it happened. Before he ascended to heaven, Jesus gave his disciples these instructions. Look at Acts chapter 1, verse 4. On one occasion while he was eating with them, this was after he rose from the dead, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. There is a baptism in water that everybody who puts their faith in Christ needs to be baptized. It's a testimony. You're letting everybody know, I'm, I'm a changed person. We, we put you under the water as a symbol of death. And we don't leave you there for too long. There's a few people I've let just linger. <laughs> Figured they needed a little more time under that water. You know, pastors have to make these confessions sometime. <laughs> but water baptism is important. That's not what saves you. Jesus saves you. But water baptism is your testimony. You're telling the world, I'm, I'm dying to sin. And if the, the, 
if the uh, pastor's willing to bring me back out to a new life. I did a baptism a couple weeks ago. I'm rusty. I almost lost a few people in there. It was harder to pick them back up than I remembered. I gotta, I gotta get back at it. But that's water baptism, and that's important. But what we also need is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I encourage you, you say, I don't, Pastor, I don't know what that is. Read Acts chapter 2. Study it. Meditate on it. Because that is where the experience started, the baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire. And we need this for these days. We're a Pentecostal church. We believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. doesn't mean we're weird necessarily, but it means we're trying to be biblical. We do everything in a fitting and orderly way because the Spirit is not one of disorder, but one of peace. But nonetheless, we need the fire. And the fire only comes from the baptism in the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist went on to say, the Father loves the Son. This is so incredible. Seven times in the book of John, it says that the Father loves the Son. How many know it's important to God? Here we see the depth of relationship between God the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. And for those of you who know you have a son, you understand there's, there's something special about a father and a son. Matthew 3.16 says, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water and at that moment heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to me, dads. The greatest thing you can say to your son is, you are my son, and I am well pleased. I'm proud of you, son. We need to speak that over our children and keep speaking that over our children, but especially there's something about a father who tells a son, I'm proud of you, I believe in you, and I love you. Come on, guys. We got to say it as often as we can. Maybe it wasn't said to us, but we got to say it to our boys. I don't care if your boy is a, an adult. I'm 57 years old and my dad still inspires me when he encourages me. It never goes away. There's something about a father and a son. And your son may be wayward at this time and he, he may have broken your heart at this time. But keep speaking life into him. Keep speaking the Lord into him. Keep praying. Keep believing because he's going to come home. you got to believe that God's going to bring that prodigal home. And so men, speak into the lives of your sons. I challenge you to do it. There's a letter my dad wrote me 20 years ago I keep in my, in my backpack. And there are times I just pull out that letter and sometimes I weep. Because he believed in me. And he spoke encouragement to me that I wanted to keep it. I want you to know the Bible is God's word to you, my son and my daughter. That he is well pleased. That he loves you. Everything is in his hands. Look at John 13, 3. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Notice that a loving relationship is the basis for trust. Because the Father loved the Son, he entrusted him with everything. There is something else hold, Jesus holds in his hands. Number five. I'm going till seven, number seven, so it's okay, Relax. Not going to 10 today. We'd be too late. Number five, he holds the whole universe together in his hands. Everything that exists is held together in the hands of Jesus. 
Look at Colossians 1, 15 through 17. Now, the Bible's not a science book, but when it speaks on science, it speaks accurately. And so we see this in Colossians 1, 15. Speaking of Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of over all creation. For by him all things were created. It wasn't a big bang, it was Jesus. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. This is speaking of Jesus. It, he didn't, it, it wasn't made by a big bang. You know, I've blown up things in my time, and life never came out of it. In fact, trouble always came out of it. Never created a new species or anything like that. Just created new problems. But in Je Jesus has created all things. And you may say, well, maybe he used the Big Bang to do it. Fine, but he's still the one that did it. He lit the fuse if it was a Big Bang. Now, what's fascinating is, is science. The more we learn, we're, Christians shouldn't be afraid of science. I mean, true science, not, not fake science, real science. But consider the atom. The nucleus of the atom contains positively charged and neutral particles. There's a fancy word called mutual electrostatic repulsion. Between like positive protons would drive the nucleus apart. You got protons together. That's, how many know that op opposites attract, but the same repels each other? Consider that in marriage. I want to marry someone just like me. That's repelling. I don't want to remember. I'm having a hard time with who I am. I want to marry somebody different than me. Bless God. Now, I know you have to have some things in, in, you know, in the same. I get it. But think about the atom. Positive protons should drive the nucleus apart. Nothing should hold together in all creation. But scientists say they call, what holds the protons together? Scientists call it the strong force they don't understand it either protons should repel each other nothing should hold together your whole body would turn to mush but instead those protons stay together by the strong force because we know who that strong force is it's jesus christ and he holds the universe in his hands he's got the whole world come on in his hands he's got the whole world in his hand okay that's enough that sounded interesting but anyway, so G, he, he holds the whole universe. He is that strong force. God holds it all together. And not only do the hands of, of Jesus hold the universe together, number six, he holds you together in his hands. The one who holds the whole universe. Oh, sometimes we don't believe in the power of God like we should. The one who holds Everything in the universe together without him, it would all collapse. Sometimes we may feel like we're falling apart. It may seem like everything is coming loose in our lives. Seems like that everything's against us sometimes, right? Come on, let's be real. It's like every, you know, we try hard to keep it together. But you really can't without the strong force, Jesus Christ. The reality is we can't hold it together on our own. I've tried. 
You know, I, I'm one of them control freaks like you, some of you. Try to control your schedule and everything that happens. I mean, I keep a diary of everything I do every day. It's a habit I've had a long time ago, but it's kind of crazy. Because what happens is I, I put time in there for God and he, he shows up at the, a different time. It's like, God, I, I've got you penciled in here. But we, we come up against God for control. We're going to lose. And I'm telling you, being a control freak like that just brings stress into your life. I used to be the type on vacation, I would schedule the whole vacation, you know what I'm saying? We'll be here, we'll stop for potty at this point and never anywhere else, this is it. You got one shot to go now or never. Couldn't understand why I was more stressed after getting back from vacation than when before I left. Sometimes the best thing we can do is let go. It's in the hands of God, step back. Because he does miracles. He takes five loaves and two fish and feeds 5,000 people. We can't do that. I think it's so important that you know he's holding you together. You may feel like you're coming apart. You may be concerned about the future. But I'm here to tell you that Jesus holds you together if you let him. All this comes down to a decision. Whoever believes in Jesus receives eternal life. It's real simple. But whoever rejects Christ receives God's wrath. You have a choice to receive or to reject. Matthew 28, verse 18, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority has been given to him. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, there it is, in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. My last point, he holds all authority in his hands. There is no greater power no greater authority and no greater force in the universe than Jesus Christ. Someday, in fact, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. I want to ask you today, are you willing to make that confession? See, it's, it's come down to a choice. If you believe, you receive. If you believe in Jesus, you receive eternal life in heaven. If you reject God's gift, then there is, a, there is a real hell. I know we don't talk about it much. It's, it scares people. Well, it should, because it's a real place. And we're called. This is why Jesus told the disciples, all authority has been given to me. Now go make disciples. I mean, you know, that's our, our number one purpose as a church is to make disciples. We got to go. We got to go make disciples and bring them in. And we see God doing that. Would you bow your heads with me today? Sorry about the microphone. But we're going to press through, bless God. If you're ready to receive, if you're ready to believe, I would just invite you to lift up your hand today. Anyone in this place, you're ready to receive Jesus Christ? Yes.
anyone else. Amen. I just want to do something different today. Would you all stand? Would you just put your hands out like you're ready to receive? There's nothing magical or mystical about this. It's just symbolic. But I think we need to be ready to receive whatever the Lord has for us. As a church, as believers, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we stretch out our hands and we receive you into our lives. Lord, we need you. Only you can hold it together. Only you can change our life. So Lord, we're reaching out to you today. We believe. Would you say it with me? We believe and we receive all that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Thank you for joining us today. Our worship service begins at 1030 every Sunday. You can join us in person or online. We broadcast live on both Facebook and YouTube. We would love for you to join us and be our guest this Sunday. Our address is 4901 California Avenue, Bakersfield, California. Thank you for joining us and have a blessed day.